We are starting the Gospel of Mark. If you have the notes, you see that. We're going to look at the introduction to Mark. Let me just read a little bit of, of chapter 1 uh, so we get just a feel of what happens here. just going to read verses 1 to 11. not going to teach on verses 1 to 11. just going to read, get acquainted with uh, the flow of Mark, the feel of Mark. So Mark writes this. He says, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold... I said, my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And all the land of Judea and all those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. Speaking of Jesus, of course. I indeed baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Filling of the Holy Spirit. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, and this is what it said, The Father said to the Son, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And there we see the approval of heaven upon the Son of God, Jesus the Son of God. Look at your notes. We're going to just get a little bit of background, a little bit of feel for what this book is, where, when, why, how, who, all those questions. The book was written around 70 A.D. Human author was was a guy named Mark, also known as John Mark. And he was a very young man during the earthly ministry of Jesus. He accompanied the Apostle Paul in his first missionary journey. And on that missionary journey, he quit halfway. He was a young man. Those who like to say it this way, he he went back home to mom. It says in Acts chapter 13, Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. That was home for John Mark. So as a young man, he was in the company of Jesus, in the company of the disciples. He got excited, apparently, or was very interested in going and serving the Lord in his first missionary journey. But partway through, he just thought, you know, I'm not cut out for this, or maybe it's too difficult, or I miss home, or whatever the case may be. We're not told those details, but he, he quit halfway through. This turns out to be a problem. It wasn't a permanent problem, but it was a problem. About four years later, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas said, let's go out again. Let's go on another missions trip. Let's go visit the places that we visited the first time. We read this in Acts chapter 15. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, now let us go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Interesting. Disagreement in the church. Who'd have thunk it, right? Two great guys just came to an impasse and they said, we, you go this way, God bless you, you go this way, God bless you. And so Barnabas took John Mark, Paul decided to take Silas, 
there was a separation from, uh, from John Mark for a while. Paul just said, you know, I don't want him coming with us. He quit early or something happened, we're not told. I think the Bible's real gracious about that, kind of maybe protects the reputation a little bit of John Mark, and so we don't know exactly what happened. But it's encouraging to know. This is, this is the part that I, I, I gave you the bad news. Bad news, and here's the good news. It's encouraging to know that a guy who quit in ministry at one point went on to write one of the Gospels. A guy who felt like, you know, maybe he didn't count the cost, or maybe he didn't decide, really kind of determine, I'm going to go do this thing. Maybe, for whatever reason, he dropped the ball, but he rebounded. He bounced back eventually in his life. And God used him to be the human author of this Gospel of Mark. Mark was mentioned as being with Paul when Paul was in prison. Now this is 15 years after uh, that first missionary journey. 15 years earlier, Mark had abandoned Paul, but now Paul's in jail and Mark wants to be with him. I don't know if you've ever had a friend in jail. Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Or, Or a relative. I visited friends in jail and sometimes you're looked at a little bit differently when you visit friends in jail. Uh, or you know, people know about it, they kind of look down on you, maybe some of the officers, they know you're visiting a, not a very savory person, that kind of thing. And, and you can kind of be stigmatized a little bit, you can kind of be guilty by association. I know that I have, and that's fine. Uh, maybe you have as well. But Mark was pleased to be with Paul, even though he was in jail. This is 15 years after abandoning him, the bond had been rebuilt. Whatever the difference was, God brought them together again. It says here in Colossians 4.10, Aristarchus, and Paul's writing from, from prison at this point, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So don't know if Mark was under house arrest or imprisoned, but he was certainly a visitor there. And in those ancient jails, in, in those times, you could come and support that family member or that friend. Many times, most of what they had was, was brought to them by friends, not provided by the, by the people running the prison. And so Mark was there as a supporter. Paul and Mark, as I said, eventually reconciled their differences and Paul, Paul saw him as valuable. At the end of Paul's life in prison, he wanted Mark there with him. Now this is 19 years after Mark had failed him. 19 years after he had been had quit halfway through and 15 years after Paul said, I don't want to work with this guy anymore. Now Paul and Mark, they've reconciled. They worked it out, whatever it was, and Paul saw Mark as a very valuable guy. Look at your notes, 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the last letter that Paul writes. Most of his friends have deserted him. There's only a few with him. And he says, only Luke is with me. He's writing to Timothy. Timothy, I'm writing you this letter. I only have Luke. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me. And you see this wonderful restoration. And then four years after this, Mark sits down and pens this gospel account of of the life of Christ. It is suggested that the gospel of Mark may have been heavily influenced or even dictated to Mark by the Apostle Paul. This isn't known for sure. Mark was, was the scribe, if you will. It was his hand that moved the pen. But it may have been Peter who was telling Mark, hey, Mark, let me tell you the stories about Jesus. Let's write them down together. You were there, I was there. Let's write them down together. So it may have been, we don't know, but it may have been, some even called the Gospel of Mark the Gospel according to Peter 
or at least a co-author, something like that. We don't know. It's suggested. I'm just sharing that with you. First Peter 5.13, Peter writes, She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, code name for, I think, Rome, the church in Rome, the church who is in Rome, Babylon, I mean, Rome was a very ungodly place, Babylon was a very ungodly place, kind of a sarcastic uh, expression regarding the city of Rome. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does, my, and so does Mark, my son. And so Peter saw Mark as a son. So there's a little bit of credibility to that. We don't know. I just share that with you for your interest. Number six there, it is thought that Mark appeared in Mark chapter 14, verses 51 and 52. This is the only gospel that records this particular account. Now what has happened, Jesus has gone to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's prayed and he's asked the Father to take this cup from him, the the cup of going to the cross. The answer, of course, was no. Jesus goes out to meet his betrayers and and the, the temple priests and the temple guards, the soldiers that guarded the Jewish temple, they came out armed to the teeth uh, to arrest Jesus. Uh, there's a bit of a confrontation and, uh, and there's a scuffle and that, but Jesus willingly surrenders himself. That's why he came to give his life as a ransom for, for many. But we read an interesting thing here in Mark chapter 14, verses 51-52. You can read your notes. Now a certain young man followed Jesus. Remember, this is the arrest sequence. A certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. So this, he was just had a little, little robe on. And the young men laid hold of him. So the guards laid hold of this young man. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Kind of an awkward way to present yourself in the Bible. <laughs> but he was with Jesus and he was so frightened and so scared that he just kind of ran out of his clothes. Just some kind of loose robe that he was wearing. And, but it is thought maybe that Mark is describing himself there. That's the only gospel that that appears in. It doesn't appear in Matthew or Luke or John. So that may have been Mark's little autobiographical statement. Imagine him and Peter recounting that night, and Mark goes, yeah, I ran out of my clothes. I ran away naked. Peter's like, yeah, write that down. You don't know how it happened. But it's interesting that that very well may have been Mark. It is believed that Mark also came from a rich family who owned the upper room where the Last Supper was held. Now we read about this in Acts chapter 12, The Last Supper happened in a a room that was prepared. And then again in Jerusalem, we see the disciples praying in this, apparently the same room, Acts chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. And when Peter had come to himself, I need to frame this, I'm sorry. Peter was arrested, put in prison. An angel of the Lord, the Lord caused an earthquake. All the doors of the prison opened up. Peter's like, am I dreaming or not? An angel appears to him and says, Peter, you're set free. And he's walking through these open doors. The guards are not noticing. I believe they're sleeping, if I remember correctly. He's walking right out of the prison. And he doesn't know if he's dreaming or if he's really awake or what's happening. And finally, he kind of comes to his senses and said, wow, the Lord really let me out of prison. So Acts 12, verse 11. And when Peter had come to himself, when he kind of realized this is the real thing, He said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together. So John Mark, very very much a part of that, that early group of disciples that was around Jesus, their home being used. And so they, you know, 
probably some people of wealth, some people of faith, to host the disciples was a dangerous thing. And so we see Mark involved there. Some interesting things here, how Mark presents Jesus. There's an interesting presentation in each one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not exactly the same story in in all of them. They're presented with different aspects and different flavors and different truths about Jesus Christ. Each Gospel seems to present a different aspect of Jesus. Matthew wrote to a Jewish audience and presented Jesus as the Messiah. So if you read the Gospel of Matthew, according to Matthew, you see a lot of Old Testament references, which, of course, Jewish people would have, would have read. Matthew writes in such a way to where he's quoting from the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, and he's pointing to the fact that God had prophesied and told ahead of time about the coming of the Messiah. So the Gospel, according to Matthew, very much pointed towards a Jewish audience. Mark presents Jesus as the servant the Gospel of Mark has a lot of action. I counted, uh, I didn't count, my Bible program counted, 36 times it says immediately, and immediately Jesus did this, and immediately he did that, and immediately he did that, and immediately the Spirit did this, and there's a lot of activity in the Gospel of, of Mark. There's not so many long dialogues or mysterious uh, parables or that kind of thing like there is in the Gospel of John or in the Gospel of Luke. But Mark is a a book of action. Mark wrote to the Roman mind, to the Gentile mind. There's a lot of Latin words used. Very interesting. Mark presents Jesus at work, Jesus being occupied, serving, healing, preaching, doing miracles, all of those things. The Gospel of Luke presents Jesus in his humanity, God in the flesh, the Son of Man. Now Luke was a physician. And Luke accompanied Paul on many of his missionary journeys. And so Luke has this human aspect of Jesus. Luke wrote to the Greek mind, and the Greeks love philosophy and they love discussion. And so, uh, you know, it makes me realize that God in heaven is very aware of the audience that he's speaking to. And so these stories about Jesus, these recollections about Jesus, presented in such a way that it would connect more thoroughly with particular minds. John, the Gospel of John, presents Jesus as the Son of God. Many, many claims of deity in the Gospel of John. And so there's all these great I am statements. I am the resurrection and the life. I, I am, no man comes to the Father but through me. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. All these I am statements that Jesus makes regarding himself, pointing to his deity. So, some very simple characteristics of the book. It's the second book of the New Testament. It's the shortest of the Gospels, only 16 chapters. This is very, very interesting. Wycliffe translators, they obviously translate the Bible into, well, this is kind of redundant, into other languages. (laughs) They translate the Bible, and when they go visit an unreached people group, the Gospel of Mark is one of the first books that they translate because it's shorter and because it has so much action in it, and they just feel like this is the book that we want to translate. A couple of uh, commentators that I read said the Gospel of Mark is the most translated book in the entire world. Very interesting. Mark is the Gospel of action. As I said, the word immediately appears 36 times 
in the New King James Version, other versions, probably more or less. And so a brief outline here of the book, of, of the Gospel of Mark, chapters 1, 1 to 13, we see the credentials of Jesus. And this is what we're going to get into next week. We see Jesus being told about ahead of time, being prophesied. John the Baptist, bap, John the Baptist excuse me, baptizing him. We see the Spirit of God coming down upon him. We see the voice from heaven. We hear the voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son. So there's an authentication of the ministry of Jesus Christ from heaven. The second part of the Gospel of Mark, chapters 1, verse 14, to chapter 8, verse 30, we're going to see the servant ministry of Jesus as he's out with people, as he's healing people, as he's touching the lepers, as he's healing the blind. He's very involved, out very involved with people's lives. Guys, I want to encourage you as we get, as we... As we work our way through the Gospel of Mark, I really want you to keep in mind the hands-on approach that Jesus had. And then I just want you to, to say, Lord, make me like Jesus. If I had to bet my lunch money, there's two or three more of you that can join us for coffee ministry in the morning. If I had to bet my lunch money. We, we, the Lord wants us to be on his mission You've heard the phrase, the Great Commission, right? To go and make disciples, go preach the gospel to all nations. It's a co-see slash mission, him and us. It's a cooperative effort. He doesn't do it all, he wants to use us. He wants to use you. And here's a thought. Maybe like Mark, you've had some failures. Who hasn't? (laughs) We all have. Mark totally bounced back. Mark could have gone home to Jerusalem and said, Mom, I'm never going with those guys again. This and that, and Paul's too intense. And we, we don't know. Fill in the blanks. Paul could have just been impatient. Come on, kid, you're slowing me down. Who knows, who knows what happened? But there was such... I mean, Paul... I mean, excuse me. John Mark's kind of presented in such a way... I mean, the young kid is sent home. That could be interpreted as embarrassing. But somehow the young kid bounced back. And he's one of the authors of the Bible. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Imagine if he would would have went home and just said, that's it, I quit. I guess the Lord would have raised somebody else to write the gospel according to, I don't know, not Judas. (laughs) But he bounced back. And so as we see this ministry aspect of Jesus, guys, we want to invite you to, you know, as the church continues on and moves forward, be involved. And I know some, some moms, you're busy with children, and I know some dads, it's a long commute and there's a lot of work. I understand that there's, there's things like that, you know, that make, you, you know, maybe serving at the church, it doesn't work. And I, under, I understand all of that. But I just want to really encourage you. In the time that you have that is free, all of your time belongs to the Lord. All of my time belongs to the Lord. In the time that you have that is free, ask God to decide how much should be recreational and how much should be in service to him. And even in your recreational time, you can still have a mindset of, Lord, I want to even be used in my recreational time. You like to go fishing? Praise the Lord. Go fishing for men, too. You like to, I don't know, shoot guns? I don't know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Glory. Hallelujah. I don't, I don't, you know, even in your recreational time, and God should be determining, and I hope you guys are thinking about this, God should be determining even how much recreational time you have. Jesus said to pick up what and follow him? His cross. 
If any man would follow after me, let him die to himself and pick up his cross and follow me. And that means our lives belong to Jesus, including your weekends, including your recreational time. Now, I think it's just as godly for a dad and a mom to take their kids to the beach and have a tremendous family time as it is to show show up early and clean classrooms. One thing is just as godly as the next because they're both responsibilities. One might be more fun than the other one, but there's great joy in serving God too. So recreational time, pray over it. And then say, Lord, I've got these many hours of recreational time. Show me how to serve you. Show me what I can do. Maybe it's just a prayer ministry. Maybe I'm just on the prayer chain. Maybe I actually, those emails come in from Pastor Vince, and maybe I do actually really stop and just slow down for five minutes and really pray. I don't just read it, but I actually pray. Lord, I believe that prayer makes a difference. So we see Jesus here, the servant of God about the Father's business. I just want to encourage you. I remember hearing a sermon years ago from Brian Broderson, and it just got to me. My recreation time doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord. So I'm, Believe it or not, Debbie and I just discovered Netflix this last year. Why didn't somebody tell us? Right? I, haven't, I don't know the last time I watched a commercial. I'm like, thank you, Lord. I can't believe it. It's amazing. But every, but every once in a while, even sometimes, you know, maybe Deb's not home or something, I'm watching Netflix, I'll just feel like the Lord going, that's enough, that's enough now. You know, seven shows is enough. Just, <laughs> maybe you should prepare the sermon. Uh, not seven, I'm being a little silly, but you guys know what I mean? Even our recreational time belongs to the Lord. So as we see Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, he's serving, and we are to be like him, Amen. Amen? Amen. Say it like you mean it. We are to be like him. So pray about all of these things. First part is the credentials of Jesus. Second part, the servant ministry of Jesus. The third part, the ransoming work of Jesus. And we're going to close with this. I want to ask the the worship team to come come on back up. I want to share that new song with you guys again. It's just a beautiful song, but but while they're coming, look look at your notes here. This is a key verse in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10, verse 42. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over you, over the Gentiles, lord it over them. He's talking about those Roman occupiers in the nation of Israel, those, those, that government that they ruled by force, they ruled by a heavy hand, they ruled by the sword. And that was... And that still is, in many cases, the way some people rule uh, the public or rule their homes or anything like that or run a business, a very handed, heavy-handed approach. You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. Notice, yet it shall not be so among you. If we are followers of Christ, we are to not lead that way. If you're in a position of leadership, you are to lead, but not like that. Notice how Jesus did it. Notice what he said. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. That's where greatness is, you guys, in serving. I want to encourage you. If you believe the Bible, then believe the Bible. If you believe the Bible, then take this to heart. Greatness comes from serving. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be the slave of all. 
Let it sink in. Jesus calls us to die to ourselves. As we die to ourselves, his resurrection, heavenly life springs up in us. We're going to see this over and over again in the Gospel of Mark. Whoever whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, excuse me, but to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Tremendous verse. That's all about the ministry of Jesus. Not only his earthly ministry with people, but his deliberate and intended death to give his life as a ransom for many. Father, we pray your blessings on each one here, Lord. Make us like you. That's our prayer, God. As Pastor Rob shared with us earlier, Lord, may we receive your love and experience your love in a fresh new way, God. Lord, use us in this community, Lord. Use us, God. Use us around the world, we pray, God. Thank you. Meet our needs, Lord. Help us trust you. Help us to wait upon you, Lord. Bless this group, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen.